Hi everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on another Still Moments with Jesus. Uh, today we wanted to come to you all with our first podcast episode. Woo-woo! Woo-woo! Uh, we have been doing this uh, channel, videos, TikToks, uh, and now podcasts, and really trying to focus in on what the good news means to us and what Jesus' love for us truly means and how best we can help you find that same love. So today I really, really wanted to focus on the new series that I'm personally doing, which is Women in the Bible. And today we're really focusing on discussion of a couple of things. And my lovely, wonderful husband is here today. Hey, everyone. Uh, a little bit of backstory uh, about us. If you don't know who we are, uh, my name is Maya uh, Nicole Samuel Patti. My husband is Brian Samuel Patti. Yeah, uh, we both graduated recently from Boston University School of Theology with our Master of Theological Studies. Uh, however, that is my first divinity degree, while Brian has three divinity degrees, if you want to go into that more. Oh, absolutely. So I have a background in, in biblical studies, primarily, and that basically means that I do love the text like a tried and true Bible nerd. I do uh, and can read the Greek and the Hebrew and do enjoy having lengthy and wonderful conversations with everyone in any capacity in which I have served in and out of the church, either as like uh, an, an instructor or as a pastor or as a preacher or a teacher. I just really thoroughly enjoy bringing the text to people and getting to hear the reactions. And that is what we hope we'll get from you today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, so, as well, Brian and I are both, I would say, fit really well together in our ministry because of how we really are called to then be of service. So, for me, what really has called and been a passion of mine is being a deacon and Brian being a pastor slash priest. Uh, hopefully, we're in the works of talking to a specific denomination now. Don't know how it'll turn out, but just trusting God with it. Uh, so fun facts, if you don't know much about church or it's your first time really diving in, deacon versus pastor. So for me, my specialty and eventually what I'll be getting my doctorate of ministry in is really being in the world, being a part of the world, talking to people, which is why I feel so called to being a deacon. It's being connecting with people, while Brian's expertise is really not only diving into the text, but also being kind of that like steady church setting person, if that makes sense to you all. Uh, but today, what we really wanted to like get into and kind of like sink our like claws in is why, well, two questions. And these two questions are particular, I'm coming to Brian as he's an expert more in the text that I am currently, uh, is not for too long. <laughs> she will catch up and supersede me. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, uh, so this will be a series for a couple parts, but first and foremost is why my question for Brian, and one that I struggled with uh, before I began my own faith journey, is why is there patriarchy in the text, and what is God saying about patriarchy? Wow, that's a deep, that's a very deep question. Uh, even before we dive into it, I guess what if if it helps out, Brian, is yeah. when we're describing patriarchy, what are we really saying? 
Uh, and for me, what I've noticed is that a lot of women in particular, I know have been less drawn to Christianity mm. because they felt that it was such a book that, that the Bible itself was a book, a text that mm. really like stuck with the status quo or the experience of pastor saying something super sexist to them, or mm. they just didn't see themselves in the text, which I have to say after following along my own faith journey is simply not true. But my question and insight is how, let's say there's a new person who's coming into the faith, feels like this is like a guy's book, right? Mm. How would you best describe to them of why there is still this like patriarchy or just this, it seems when you first are glancing in the text that this book really only showcases men unless it's Ruth or Esther. Wow. I think that's a fair concern. Uh, Maya, thank you for your question. Uh, I'd say the patriarchy in the text is a valid, valid point. As you can see me here right now, I, sorry, sorry to those who are listeners. <laughs> Only Maya can see me right now. <laughs> uh, but a great resource tool that I like to use from time to time is a resource known as the Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible. Which is on blueletterbible.org. I'd say it's a great Bible tool for anyone out there who's interested in just digging into the text, especially if you really want to just get a feel for what the languages are saying, the original languages of Greek and Hebrew are saying, uh, when it comes to how to read and understand what was translated how in the text. Uh, so I'm looking at uh, Genesis 1 mm. and Genesis 3, so specifically Genesis 3.16. You know how we have John 3.16, for God so loved. Genesis 3.16 is just as important <laughs> for this discussion. And only for one reason. If, if um, you have your Bibles with you uh, and you're just tuning in, uh, I'll be reading from the NASB uh, 1995 edition. Uh, it goes something like this. And this is a scene when Adam and Eve are in the garden and God is coming to confront them about the eating of the fruit. So in Genesis 3.16 it reads, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Oof. Wow. Now that's a, yeah, that's a deep one. It's right, a, Maya? It's a, it's a super hard text to get into. Uh, I think that, well, Brian would probably say it better than me, but I think a lot of times we're afraid to really turn into or as a woman, kind of be like, whoa, mm. uh, that sounds horrible. Like, God's supposed to love me, but he's going to cause child mm. me to give birth in pain and then also have to, like, serve a guy. That doesn't sound fun at all. No, it does not sound like fun at all. But I would say the text prepares you for the patriarchy you're going to see in the text through this verse. And that's an important thing to note. Remember the curse. The curse was multiplying children, the pain in childbirth and yet your desire as a woman will still be for your husband but what will your husband do well the guy do he shall rule now there's a huge debate about whether or not it is a command to men or to husbands in particular or whether or not it is a suggestion not a really suggestion it is a it's it's a byproduct of Adam's inadequacy of, you know, really leading 
and doing his work as a guy, so he shall rule. There's a whole debate about the, the choice of translation, the choice of words there, because the Hebrew is fascinating, right? Because it just goes into this idea of Vehu Mishal Bach. Vehu Mishal Bach. Basically, and he dash rule you, over you. Ooh. Now, that in and of itself is crazy. But there's another thing that's coming up when you read the Hebrew, right? So the, the word be is a preposition, and it comes before the you. Mm. Uh, and ber is typically used as the same, is the same first letter you're going to see uh, in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And what do you usually typically translate that as? Dash the beginning? What do you translate? In beginning. the beginning. So one way someone might translate this might even be rule in you or rule over your affairs, right? Rule over your life and whatever it is that constitutes you as a human being, mm. as a woman. Mm. So it seems to me that the control that's being talked about here with regards to the man's dominion. Mm. So remember, social structures begin at the home. And this is why Genesis 3.16 matters. Because if the husband is going to rule over his wife, it stands to reason that the structures this man would build after humanity is cast out of the garden, that these structures would most likely favor men over women. And that is the thing that we see here. Now, that is just Genesis 3.16. I want us to continue on and read the rest of the curses. So uh, going down to Genesis 3.17, where God says, then to, Ab then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. But here's a twist of the whole thing. Verse 20 starts with now the man naming his wife. Remember, the woman he's been with has not had a name. Mm. But this is the point at which Adam gives his wife a name. And as we all know, her name is Eve. Eve. And the text adds a little nice note there because she was the mother of all the living. Now, something to take into consideration as you're reading a text like this and trying to understand the patriarchy in the text, naming was a particular function of the superior over the inferior. And the first claim of that superiority that Adam reflects is in giving his wife a name. Mm. Wait, pause for a second now, Brian. You're not saying <laughs> to everyone and their listeners that women are inferior to men. 
under God, correct? <laughs> no, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is that the function of naming something is unique only to the one who is superior over it. So things to note. In Genesis, what do we see in the first chapter, right? During the creation. Mm. Who is calling things out and naming them? It's Adam. No, Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Oh, it's God. It's God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. God names and God assigns mm. a duty to it, right? Yes. Cool. What do we see in Genesis 2? When Adam is now in the field and God tasks him with a very specific responsibility of... Watching the garden. Okay, and what does he do? What does he do? What does he do to the creatures? Don't worry, listeners. <laughs> this is just me putting my wife on, <laughs> keeping my wife in okay, uh, in so check, okay. <laughs> on oh, her toes. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, so what? First, okay, so first Adam is in charge of the garden, right? He's right. naming all the animals. Ah, but is that because he? Does it out of natural will or because he's been assigned the task he's of naming? He's been assigned the task of naming. Bingo. Okay, so where's your, where are we going? Bingo. Bingo, you want to, where you go? That is part of the whole tragedy of the story between Genesis 2 and 3. Get into it. Adam is already assigned or given responsibilities, such as naming the animals in chapter 2, mm -hmm. a task that's only a role of someone superior, which is God. And human beings at this time are fresh, directly reflecting the image of God in its fullness. Yet still, <laughs> yet still, even we who are reading this do not see it. Hmm. But here's a, here's a strange thing, right? Adam knows instinctually that when he has been cast out of the garden, so mind, mind you, the text does not say Eve is cast out. It only isolates and says Eve. And the Hebrew goes on to back this up. Only Adam is cast out. Say it again one more time for the people in the back that didn't hear what you just said. Only Adam is cast out of the garden. Yeah. The verb is a singular, masculine, singular, third person. He is cast out. But what does Adam do on his way out? He names his wife. Mm. What name does he call his wife? Eve. Or as the Hebrew would read, Hava or Hava. That is a very critical name. Now, remember two things about the woman that we've already read about up, up until this point. One, what is she created to be in the grand scheme of things? What is like, because let me say, I, I've been in groups that I've heard multiple names of what she's supposed to be. Right. Uh, whether that be Adam's companion or right. his second half. Right. But what is really the Hebrew saying that she actually is? Now, she is referred to as his help meet. That's a very old way of saying she works side by side with Adam. Cause something else to note, neither man nor woman are superior prior to Genesis three. Like 
what you just said to me earlier with the naming that someone was superior and inferior. How do we get... That is chapter 3. That is after the fall. So you're saying to me, because of the curse... Yes. Now there's a hierarchy put in place that wasn't there before. Yes. Well, I don't like that. Why would Jesus <laughs> do that to us? Because <laughs> something else to keep in mind. I know this is this is this is an idea that we also keep in mind in marriage. So something to keep in mind with like the marriage dynamic of this time period, right? Mm. Is, and we love to quote it, it during weddings. Oh. Wow. And this is something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. What do we what do we, what do we read in Genesis two twenty three? I'll let you read, my wife. Oh yeah. What does it say? The man said, "This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall call she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Next. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh-huh. We're used to seeing in many patriarchal societies across the globe the reverse happen, where the woman lives, leaves her father and mother mm. and is joined to the man's side. Mm. But that is not the biblical... No, it's formula. Not. Nope. It's the other way around. Gotta leave your mama, guys. You gotta leave your mama. What is a very well-known story in which we see the same thing happen? The story of Moses, the same man who writes to whom the first five books are attributed to. Moses lived with his wife's people. Mm-hmm. And he's not the only one. Mm. So, did, so did Isaac. Mm. I believe Jacob. And Abraham. Yes. They lived with their wives' people. It's not just a thing (laughs) we're going to read at this point. It's Mm. something we're going to see as a thing showing up throughout the text. And this is now just covering all of Genesis through Mm. to Deuteronomy. Mm. So that being said, though, it doesn't go back to our original point of, hey, if I have a God who loves me so much as a female... Mm -hmm. Why would I then, you're telling me that it's just a fall, that I'm just stuck being under some guys who, you know, may not be the nicest people in the entire world at certain moments? Oh, all right. I'm going to introduce, to that point, I'm going to introduce two critical con- two critical ideas in the text mm. that I love our listeners and my wonderful wife to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. One. One. There is... A name Eve is given that is strictly a name that is attributed to God mm. when she is created and brought to Adam. What does the Lord say in Genesis 2.18? Ashley, my wife, here's a Bible for you. Thank you. Speed read. Speed read? Speed reading. What do you see? Not as speedy as I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis 2.18. Uh, now the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. Uh-huh. I will make him a helper, uh-huh. suitable and complementary for him. Mm. 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 There good. is one key thing about the woman here and another key thing about the man that's brought up. Mm. 
that becomes a point of reference in the Psalms. Okay. One, the word that is translated alone mm. does not mean alone. That is a mistranslation. <laughs> There's a word that means alone, but uh, this is the uh, wrong word. Why? <laughs> For future listeners, this would be a common aspect of our lives, a mistranslation within the text. So yes. thank you. Thank you. It does not mean alone. Adam is in something that is akin to his separation. Adam is in a state of separation. What that means only unveils itself for the rest of the story in 2 and what we see in chapter 3. What are you trying to say now, Brian? Oh, hold on, hold on. It goes into what the woman is. Mm. Now, her name, her title, her role is that of Ezer. Is there a word that we know, that we've heard attributed to God, that sounds familiar to this? That God is our... Helper? Ev yeah, huh? but which one? Oh, God. He is the Evan Ezer. He is the rock of our help. Now that... <laughs> that is something to keep in mind. Mm. Now, remember what I said, we're looking at what the woman has been described as in her introduction, and we're comparing it to what we're seeing at this point in time at the end, when they're now being, when Adam is being cast out of the garden. Mm. Right? Yeah. In chapter 3. Yeah, yeah. We have to look at the totality of what the woman is. Because she is not formed like the man. Mm. She is built. Bana, like a house. Mm. Like a brick house. Like a brick house. Mm. That's the idea that's given to us. She's a more completed vision of what humanity was supposed to look like. Mm. She's the final product. Adam was dirt, breathed on. He, he exists. Eve is the opposite. She's a final complete, complete product. Mm. Now, Time for us to have some fun. Oh, are we? <laughs> when we go back to chapter 3 of Genesis, and let's head back down to Genesis 3 to look at this a little further. So Genesis 3, scroll all the way down. Scroll. Uh-huh. Scroll or turn your pages. Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm using, I'm using a, a digital device uh -huh. to look at this. Um, but scroll or turn your pages <laughs> the way down to chapter 3 all the way to verse 20. Mm. What did we read, Maya? That now? If you're there? Oh. Genesis 3.20? Oh, my wonderful wife. <laughs> <laughs> I really much better at this. I have a cold, everyone. It's not my she has a cold, but she is called. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, so we're at three. Verse 20. <clears throat> the man named his wife Eve mm -hmm. because she was the mother of all the living. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. So now. You've said this multiple times, so say more. Now. Her name is important because it is Chava. 
or Hawa. Now, Hawa is a word uh -huh. that is critical to our understanding of what she is and her relationship to God's plan. Talk to me. She, unlike Adam, because Adam, as of this point, considers himself dead. Remember the command from God. If you eat it, eat of the tree of the fruit of life, eat of the fruit of the tree of life, mm -hmm. of the tree of good and evil, sorry, you will surely die. Mm. The Hebrew says, in dying, you will die. Basically, you'll be dead. I, I, I think we got the dead. <laughs> <laughs> it belabors a point. That is exactly what happens in this scenario. Before Adam dies, mm. he understands himself already to be dead as he's cast out from the presence of God mm. in the garden. Mm. But because the same thing has not been said of Eve, yeah. of his wife, mm. and God had already declared in three earlier on, Mm. That he has a plan through the woman. That she now becomes the hope of the human race. So you're telling me the Eve that we usually hear about being the cause of human destruction, being the reason why everyone's in sin, the catalyst for the apple or fruit. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Uh, is actually a hope? Yes. But what typically happens with hope? You know, you stick out your hands, they're not going to help Oh, come you. on. Be passive to me right now, Maya. Be passive. Okay. You're being too civilized right now. Okay. Well. <laughs> Go ahead. Ask the question again. Come on. You're a pastor. What Go happens with hope? What happens with hope? What happens to someone who's hopeful? They. What typically happens? Do they always receive the hope? Do they always receive support? Are they always encouraged? No, that's very true. They're not. Especially if they're considered less than. Mm. They're considered the ones who go out and fight ahead, and please. pursue things the way they know how mm. to. Are mm. those the ones we know? Mm -mm. Bingo. Bingo. You say bingo one more time, bro. <laughs> now, that's an important plot point. Mm. And this is the reason why, dear listeners, um, and we're so grateful that you're actually hanging around with us. Yes, we thank we know you. we're a crazy couple, and thank we just you. love having this conversation. So thank you for just eavesdropping in <laughs> <laughs> and spending time with us. Mm. But something that's important to note is that Eve, Eve, would become the source of all life. The text later on goes on to remind us in the New Testament that Eve was deceived, but it is Adam's fault for sin getting in. Not Eve's. It's say, Adam's. Say more. Say more. <laughs> that's a controversial statement right there. It's a very controversial statement. In Pauline theology, for instance, especially if we come from evangelical circles or more conservative and Calvinist circles, we know Paul's famous statement through one Man, sin entered the world. Ooh, not coming back with the text. Through one man. Comparatively, Jesus is con 
consider the one man through whom life, eternal life, has now been made open again to all humanity. Mm. Through one man, sin entered the world. Through this other man, mm. life eternal has mm. been made accessible mm. to all who believe. Mm. Now, what does the New Testament hinge its whole news on? Resurrection. Uh-uh. Oh, you know this one, Pastor Mai. Oh, go ahead, sneeze. Go ahead, sneeze. Go ahead, sneeze. Go ahead, sneeze. It's a holy sneeze. <laughs> We're having holy moments right now. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. She's trying so hard not to laugh. But she can go ahead and sneeze. It's going to be a holy sneeze. And she'll oh, be okay. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> Ask the question again, Lord. What does the message of the whole New Testament hinge on? On who? Jesus. Yes, he's a subject, but on whose message first? The testimony of women. It's on the testimony of women. God approaches Mary, not Joseph. If you're going strictly by cultural values and the idea of men being the priests, I'm sorry. Doesn't work with God. God is not a respect of persons. Mm Mm-mm. God went directly for Mary, mm. the young woman, mm-hmm. and not Joseph, the older husband, Yes. and betrothed of Mary. But Brian, didn't the angels come to both Mary and Joseph? Yes, but not the, the first one to come to Mary, Gabriel, mm-hmm. came specifically with a message directly from God about who was supposed to be born to her. Mm. What does Mary say? Oh gosh, you got me floating. I'm about to sneeze again. You say it, bro. <laughs> what does Mary say? What are the famous words Mary says? Let it be to me according to your word. <laughs> that alone cemented Mary mm. in the annals of history mm. as a faithful believer Mm. and in her own right someone even Jesus still listened to Mm. but Brian before we go down that rabbit hole what has that got to do with the patriarchy in the Bible oh what does that have to do with the patriarchy everything everything in Genesis 1 as I mentioned again early on I said when Adam is told that your wife will be longing for you but what you will do in return is not love her back, mm. but you will try and rule over her because mm. you acknowledge your incapacity to rule. And mm. because you realize your own insufficiency, mm. you will place that on her. It will manifest itself as you dominating her life, mm. Mm. controlling her, telling her what she can and cannot do. And that, as I mentioned, Everything that we see in society starts within the family. So then, as a woman, what should I do? Uh, or how? How is there a what? I'm not saying this right, but I want to say it right. Go ahead. Uh, is how do you feel? Because I already know how 
God has even in this yeah. moment helped and supported me mm. against Amen to that. this original sin and has healed me and pushed past any type of patriarchal or racist or any type of just things that would have caused my life to go into chaos. So in your wise words today, Brian, how can women, or I guess in all honesty, people in general see past what God does in something that's already there? Like, right? You just told me that mm -hmm. this was a part of the original sin, this system structure. But did God ordain this system structure? That's a very good question. Did God ordain that structure? I tend to think, I'm going to speak independently, I tend to think no. Why do you say that? Because it was already a byproduct of Adam's actions. Mm. To voluntarily know the truth, but decide not to help or speak up or engage his wife in it. Mm. Because when Eve is having the fruit, yes. guess who's there with her? Adam. Adam. The text says Adam, she gave the fruit to her husband who was there with her. But does that say... The whole time. But the, I notice when I look at translations, sometimes that's not clearly stated. Why is that? Right. Okay, let's do this. So I will scroll all the way back. <laughs> with your scrolling. I'm scrolling. You can turn the page. And we shall go uh, to the exact verse. And we shall read the text. So that'll be Genesis 3, verse 6, right? Um, yes. And if you know Hebrew, please read yep. along in Hebrew. Yep. It does say with her. So, ima mm. is the word used, which would mean with her, because uh -huh. im in Hebrew means with. So, ima would be with her. That's a feminine H sound at the end. Mm. So, who was with her? Yes. And he ate. Mm. So, I'll read it again. Gam lisha ima ve yochal. Gam, so Gam, Leisha, Ima, Veyochal, and gave the, the fruit. Fruit gave, she gave him mm. to the husband who was with her, and he ate. Mm. Adam was with Eve in the Hebrew. Adam was with Eve at that moment in the Hebrew. Mm. And that's an important thing to note. Mm. Adam did not do what he was supposed to at that time. Which was what? Say it. And it gives us a clue as to the whole thing we were discussing about Adam's separation from chapter 2. What is going on with Adam that we are only seeing the effects of in chapter 3? Because mm. when Eve is introduced to the scene, the Hebrew introduces her as someone who's Adam's equal. The Hebrew yeah. uses her, the direct word is that she is his parallel. Mm. They're equals. Yeah. 
She's not his created inferior. She mm. is his equal to keep him accountable. Mm. And I hope anyone who's listening uh, can begin to see the model that uh, God had with the church. The idea of keeping each other accountable as brothers and sisters. Mm. The idea is that you're equals walking together. Yes. And reminding each other to walk in good works and righteousness mm. and fellowship and joy and in love and in the spirit. You're keeping each other accountable. That yes. is the model that we see here. Mm. But Adam was not playing along. Mm. That is why the fall is never attributed to Eve. The text does not say it's Eve's fault. Ooh. Oh. So. <laughs> and oh, fun fact. So mm. Eve is not drawn from a rib. That is a more medieval understanding of the text rabbinic reading from the, of the text from uh, the medieval era. But that is not what the text says. What does it say? It says the woman was drawn from Adam's side. So something to keep in mind. Adam is created both with both male, created both male and female. Right? How do we get there? Genesis 1. <sighs> All right. So in... The Lord separating the mm. two. One was going to be more. Look, it's it's very funny because when you look at human um, genetic makeup, we have more testosterone than estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. And women have more estrogen yes. than testosterone. Yes. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. At this point, there's always such mind-boggling things that I just kind of go along with it whenever I talk to him, I swear. Yeah, but it isn't the rib. Mm. She's drawn from the very, the very core thing that God had ordained to use to reflect him. Mm -hmm. The roles of what we'd know as masculine and feminine. In those two, he separated and created two distinct people mm. who are supposed to reflect his glory. Mm. And the way God creates this is, the way we introduce that story in Genesis 1 is as of one who is a master builder, an mm. architect, a temple builder, mm. who has all this going on, the cosmos surrounding everything, mm. reflecting his glory. And we have the inner sanctuary where he creates the two people mm. who would be his images would be his image. So keep in mind, not just Adam is created in the, in the image of God, Eve is as well. So with that being said then, after all the information that we've gone over yes. about Adam and Eve, about who Eve is, about Genesis, about yes. the fall, yes. what do we, what would you say now to someone in this modern time of, well, why why? <laughs> Just why is the patriarchy still there then? Well, because that's just the order of things. It became a structure that came from our fallenness. Mm. It isn't born from God. It's born from our fallenness. It's born from our insecurities. It's born from... Look at any relationship today. Why do, why do women suffer in relationships? Not to mean that men do not, but why do women suffer in relationships mm. with men? Mm. Is there not, are there not issues of insecurity? Are there not issues of self-sufficiency? Are there not issues of feeling 
inadequate, ina- you know, inadequate in some capacity mm. to actually fulfill your role as a quote-unquote man. Mm. And the values we seek as men are not driven from God. That's something to note. It is mm. driven from what society has already created as its structure to make sense of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Mm. And that is why the text speaks to us and reminds us that while it is good to acknowledge where we are from, that is not the final authority on who we are. Mm. And that is why the community of faith should be a community of safety in this day and age. And Mm. which is why the church has such a great responsibility of helping people realize their full potential, whether male or female. Right, because back to your original point of Mary, but I think of the woman at the well. I think of who was the first pe- first people to be told about the resurrection. Mm. That's me, Mary, Mary. Mm-hmm. How many women? I think of mm. Deacon Phoebe. I think of all these women throughout texts who even in this fallenness through... Yeah. Christ through our Savior dying for our sins is breaking that patriarchal mold that was instilled by our fallenness, right? Mm -hmm. It's breaking that original thing of saying, and it's breaking not only the feeling of woman having to go through the pain of being told to be underneath the man, but also it breaks that idea as well as breaking men's insecurity and inadequacy because of their faith in Christ. Mm. There's an interesting point Paul brings up in the New Testament, to your point, Mm. where he says, in Christ there is no longer male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. Mm. All are one and on the same level and rank before him. Mm. We see the same happen when Jesus is judging women, or at least made to judge women, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. What does Jesus say about the, in the scenario brought to him by the Sadducees with regards to the resurrection, the woman who had seven husbands? Mm. The idea is that she would belong to someone in the resurrection, right? At least from the Sadducees' understanding. Mind you, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Yes. But this was their claim to discredit the, the resurrection. Mm. What does Jesus say? That you neither know God, nor the power of God. That's what he tells the Sadducees. Because the woman belongs to no one in the resurrection. Say it again for the people in the back. The woman belongs to no one in the resurrection. But all are made like the angels of God in heaven. That is a valuable and important point to make. In Jesus, women find themselves again. They reclaim their identity. They re-establish themselves in this place of religious and spiritual authority. Yes. Because it has been in the case it has been the case as well in the text where we find prominent women speak again and again yes. about not only their experience with God, but also their roles in leadership, mm. in property management, yes. in wealth. Yes. And influence in societies and, and cities. Yes. This is not the first time, this is not the only time. Mm. 
women have been key to understanding what God is doing with the text. Amen to that. Women have been used as the primary way of under of the feminine has been used as a primary way of understanding what God's wisdom is like. Mm. Yes. Not the man. No. Not the man. Mm-hmm. And even in our fragile brokenness, in some way, whenever we think of wisdom. In any other god, in any other mythology or theology, what is what is she usually? A woman. Yeah. What is Sophia? But a woman. Hmm. Hmm. Amen to that. Amen to that. Right. Brian, I just wanted to thank you for this time. Thank You're you for diving into this with me. Uh, we look forward, listeners. Uh, for us to continue this conversation. This was just the first episode of Breaking Down Patriarchy. Next up, we will be going into, hey, where? why do I not hear about more women in the Bible? And I can't wait to have that conversation. Thank you again, and have a blessed, blessed, wonderful evening, morning, afternoon. Take care.